0: Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible. So, let's get into God's Word together. We have been working through this series, the one another commands of Jesus Christ. Christians are called to live life with one another. We are called to live in specific ways with one another. We do not simply occupy space. We're called to an interactive life together. And so as we begin this morning's sermon, I simply want to ask for those that have been a part of the teaching over the last many weeks, how is your life with one another going? How is it going learning to live life with one another? How are you exercising those things that we have talked about? How are you loving one another? How are you doing at forgiving one another? How are you doing it praying for one another, bearing one another's burdens, tolerating one another? How are you doing it encouraging one another? It was just last week, so I'll cut a little bit of slack if you haven't yet improved the teaching and admonishing of one another, but I hope that you've been growing in your teaching and admonishing. I pray that singing this morning was something different in light of God's word being taught last week. We come to the end of our series. In this study, we could continue it by certain means. There are plenty of other one another's to talk to, but we're going to conclude it today with serving one another. For those that may not have been a part of uh, these past many weeks, when the Holy Spirit gives new life to a dead soul, the Bible says we are dead in our sin and our trespasses. We are born again by the Spirit of God when through faith in Jesus Christ and repentance of sin to God, we recognize our sin and call on the name of the Lord. We are saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. When that happens, that soul is brought into the household of God. The Bible calls the household of God the church a pillar and ground of truth. In stark contrast to the world, the church is marked by how it lives with one another. The world does not care how it lives with one another. Sure, it has ways. It does have a mm, code of conduct, for lack of a better phrase, of how it does operate with one another. But the world, at the end of the day, does not have a true and genuine affection for one another. Because they are not fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. They are empty. Their affection and life with one another is not complete When a Christian becomes a Christian through the work of God and expresses that through faith in Jesus Christ, they are called to life with one another. They are placed into a compelling Christ-created community. And they begin, as we have been examining, learning to love one another, learning to forgive one another, learning to pray for one another. Learning to put up with one another, learning to encourage one another, learning to teach and admonish in singing in certain other ways as well, and learning, lastly, I think perhaps the culmination, as I consider these, and the way they kind of build with each other, considering today the culmination of all of these one another commands and the great expression of how we serve one another. Would you turn with me, if you have a Bible, to 1 Peter chapter 4? I'm only going to focus on one verse today, but we're going to read, I don't know, 11 of them. 1 Peter chapter 4. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so, as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. and dominion forever and ever, amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you in this hour looking for wisdom from your word, looking to be taught, corrected, encouraged. Father, seeking the ministry of the Holy Spirit as we just sang, Father, speak, O Lord. Teach us your ways, your word. Father, I pray this morning as your word goes forward that sinners would be humbled to repentance and salvation. I pray that the holiness of your people will be promoted. Oh God, would we be holy as you are holy? Help us. And I pray that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ would be exalted as the only Savior, King, and Lord of the world. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. My goal in today's sermon is to show that Christian ministry, this is not a shocker, so don't be prepared for some, whoa, I never knew. My goal is to show today that Christian ministry, serving one another, is the duty of every Christian. It is the duty of every Christian to serve other Christians. As we have examined this series, I have from time to time made sure to point out the distinction in, I am talking about how we Christians live life together with other Christians. There are ways for us to live our lives in the world with the world as Christians. And there are ways for us to live our lives together with one another. If we do not understand how to rightly live with one another as Christians, we will not properly live with the world. We are among them, Paul says, but you are separate from them. And there are distinct ways to live with both. We do not hold each other to the same standards. In the church, Christians are held to the standard of God's word. In the world, though they will be judged by the standard of God's word, we cannot hold them to the standard of God's word because they are not God-following people. They are not God's people. And so for us to hold them to it is to set false expectations on them. And I think we've probably done great harm over the years as Christians in expecting the world to live as godly. They're not godly. They're lost in their sin. They need us to live godly lives among them, but they are lost, and we must be light to them. My goal in today 's sermon to show that Christian ministry serving one another is the duty of every Christian. I have three categories of people in mind that I 'm thinking of today, so no matter where your life is, I aim to call those that are idle to action. If you are an idle servant as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, I hope that today 's message will stir you to action. You are not to be idle. I aim to strengthen weak servants, because let's face it, sometimes it's not that we're idle, and sometimes it's not that we don't care, it's just that we're so weak, and we need strength. And I aim to encourage the weary servant, because any laborer, any Christian serving the Lord Jesus Christ knows that it is utterly life-exhausting. It is the duty of every Christian to serve Christians I aim to call the idle to action, strengthen the weak, and encourage the weary. It's interesting to note, and you're saying, Pastor, great. Why did you read all those verses if we're just dealing with, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another? I'm glad you're asking. You'll notice the start of 1 Peter chapter 4 says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh... Peter says, be thinking about life in the same way. I want to make sure that we situate serving one another in light of what Peter has spent his time talking about, which is Christ's suffering and how the suffering of Christ means that Christians also will suffer. You're like, Pastor, this is not working to be the biggest build-up of a sermon. No, it's not. Our service flows out of the sufferings of Christ and what that suffering means for us as we also suffer in this life. Peter dwells much in his first letter and even a bit in his second letter. Peter dwells much on the suffering of Jesus Christ and how the suffering of Christ means the suffering of God's people. Christian, it may go well with you for a time, but you will suffer Maybe you have suffered. Maybe you are entering a time of suffering or it's ahead of you still in the future. There are young people in the room. You have likely not yet suffered for your faith in Jesus Christ, but you will. Christ was persecuted. They will persecute you, the word of God says to us. In light of Christ's suffering, Christians also will suffer. I'm dwelling on this because it's really important when we get down to as each has received a gift. So at the start he says, since therefore Christ suffered. In 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 21 just back a page for me, it says for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. This is an often quoted verse. Christ has left, left us an example that we may follow in his steps. I think that most in the room following the Lord through faith would say, Amen. We are to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. But what is not dwelled upon in our American culture within the church is that this verse is situated in light of the suffering of Jesus Christ. For to this you have been called, not to this you have been called to follow in his steps. First Peter chapter 2 is saying, for to suffering you have been called because, you can see it plainly, Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. The suffering of Christ means the suffering of Christ's people. The life of the Christian is a life of sojourning, And suffering. We taught for many months through the book of Exodus. It's the pinnacle of observing the suffering of God's people. Sojourners and sufferers are we as God's people. We await eternal home. So we come to chapter 4 in light of Peter's writing of the sufferings of Christ and of what that suffering means for us. I'm going to summarize. I went through and just did a brief outline of these first nine verses here. In First Peter 4, 1 through 6, Peter says, the way you used to live is past. Amen? Should be an amen to that, resounding in the church house. Within the church house, when someone says, You used to be dead in your sin, you ought to all be like, hey, Amen, I'm no longer dead in my sin. The Lord Jesus has revived me, regenerated me to new life. The old life is gone. And Peter says, The way you used to live is past, not present. There's a great warning for us all Is your life changed because of faith in Jesus Christ? Through faith in Christ, we are new, we are changed, we are able to live differently than we used to live. And the people we used to run with pursuing the ways of the world ought to look at us and say, are you out of your mind? Why? Because the way of the world is so wonderful for the way of the world. There is a way that leads to death. People ought to look at you I wonder how many people simply take for granted that we're here this morning. I've thought about this. I think about this often, actually. How many people in your life simply take it for granted that you're at church this morning? They ought to be looking at your life and thinking, what is wrong with you? That's a wonderful question. I hope that you get asked that. Why do you go to church? Why do you do that? Because, and you can see right here, with respect to this, what? With respect to the time has passed. Sufficient enough is the time for doing what the Gentiles do. That word Gentiles, we often think of a specific people group, but we must understand the word Gentiles in context of the, whole word, of the whole word of God. Gentiles literally means nations. It's not a people group. It's all people groups separated from God. Time to live as the Gentiles do. Look at what it says. These are terrible words. Parents have a great time explaining them to your children later. For the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, that is, do what pleases us, passions, worldly, not godly, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Look, verse 4, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them Look at these, these are big words, in the same flood of debauchery, somebody in the room has the, the translation I met, memorized here, in the same flood of dissipation, the same lawless acts that lead to nowhere good, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood, and they what? They malign you. We ought to suffer as Christians, people not understanding why we don't sin and why we are trying to live in obedience to god's word when was the last time this happened for me when was the last time it happened for you are people wondering what in the world we're doing as you used to walk i'm inclined at this moment to ask is this still your pattern of life Are you here this morning as cleaned up as humanly possible, but are you still living in the same flood of dissipation that is talked about here? Maybe it is that this is the show, and that's the reality. Many of us in the room may understand that. Maybe you are living a show on Sunday, and the reality of your life is the Monday through Saturday where you live just like the world, and they don't think it's strange because this is the only moment in time where they never see you not living like them. Ugh. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you been changed? Quoted this past week, I don't remember the context, talking about different things we sing in songs and whatnot. We sing it often in the church I grew up in. I feel like we sing it every single Sunday. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing flood? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? The soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb. I urge you, if you are here today, And this is not the reality of your life. This is the show and the way of the world is the reality of your life. I urge you now, call on the name of the Lord. Repent of sin. Do not return to the same flood of debauchery. Be maligned for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Be saved by grace through faith. God is holy. Man is sinful. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, died a sinner's death, rose again for your salvation. Call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Verses 1 through 6. Verse 7. Look what it says. The end of all things is near. I love it. In light of, since Christ suffered, now Peter just jumps from Christ suffered and we're living in the end. The end of all things is at hand. In light of the sufferings of Christ and in light of what the suffering of Christ means for Christians, Peter says the end of all things is at hand and then lays out simple precepts for Christian living in light of Christ's suffering and the end of all things being near. Look what he says. The end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Pastor, what does that mean? It means that there are right ways and wrong ways to pray. And we must be clear-minded Clear in our spirit when we approach the throne. We can go boldly. The word says, let us boldly approach the throne with confidence that we may find grace and mercy to help in time of need. Be self-controlled and sober-minded that you may pray effectively. That you may pray well. Keep loving. One another. One of the first, interesting to me, how one of the first one another's is kind of tying into the last one another. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Again, as I love you, as Christ loved the church, as you love me, as Christ loved the church, we will be drawn to forgiving one another more easily and overlooking the misgivings that we have with one another as we draw closer together in love. Loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Look at verse 9. The end of all things is near, so pray with a clear mind. Love one another, verse 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. You're like, that doesn't make any sense. I love throwing parties at my house. I love having backyard barbecues and cookouts. Man, having people over is what we love. But we have misunderstood the word hospitality in our culture. This is not simply Throwing a party and opening your home for the utter destruction of every child that comes. This is not just however many bratwursts or hamburgers you can put on the grill to feed every belly that comes. This is not, I hope the meatballs are on the potluck line. No, no, no. All good things. All good things and not discluded. Maybe I I think I just made a word up. That's a good one. Hospitality in the biblical context, meant inconveniencing your life for the sake of someone else. I'm going to bring in this person that lost their home in a fire. I'm going to bring in the battered person. I'm going to give this room to this refugee that I may love them. Why does it say without grumbling? Well, because in Judaism... And even in Islam, which are well outside of Christianity, it's all about what you do. It's all about the good that I do. And Christianity is not all about the good that you do. The good that you do is all about what has been done in you and for you. And grumbling shows a lack of genuine conversion when you are hospitable, because the Christian ought to be inconvenienced when they show hospitality. Oh, it is the parties. Open your home have big parties and invite everyone from church over, but also go out of your way to be inconvenienced in caring for people. The protection of Christians seeking refuge. We don't think like this in this country. This is hard for us. We don't think about people needing asylum for their faith. This verse means something so drastically different around the world than it means right here in Byron, Michigan today. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Note, all these are be done in light of, the end of all things is near, the end of all things is near and in light of Christ's suffering and what Christ's suffering means for us. And then Peter says, verse 10, as each has received a gift. Let's dwell on that line for just a moment. As each has received a gift. I like gifts. You like gifts? Who likes gifts? Any kids in the room like gifts? Right. Big kids in the room love gifts. Everybody likes a gift. Each, you can circle it, as each has received a gift. What does that mean? Each means those who have been born again through faith in Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God has brought a dead soul to new life. So every member of a compelling Christ-created community has received a gift. Each has received a gift. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 1 that he did not want the Corinthians to be uninformed about spiritual gifts. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 7, Paul wrote that God the Holy Spirit manifests or makes himself known in each believer for the common good. Spiritual gifts are a real thing, and I'm not going to derail on talking all about spiritual gifts this morning, but when we read Peter say, each has received a gift, we are thinking in light of the work of the Holy Spirit in us, making us able to do certain things for the service of one another and the glory of God. There are certain gifts seen in Scripture. It can be argued that the Spirit no longer employs among God's people. However, many of the gifts that we see in Scripture have to do with people simply living out the God-given ability with other people. For God's glory, for the growth of the Christian and the church around them. In First Corinthians chapter 12, Paul deals more with spiritual gifts that are hard for us to understand. And that's why there's good argument for the spirit may not employ the same gifts that the first church knew in the first century as he does today. If they were employed in common, we would probably have a little bit greater understanding about them. Deals more with spiritual gifts, prophecy, healing, tongues, interpretation. However, in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, Paul also mentions the gift of helping and the gift of administration. In Romans 12, Paul also mentions more the practical gifts. He mentions in Romans 12, serving as a gift, teaching as a gift. This may be shocking to you. Paul mentions giving as a gift. Literally says those who contribute to the needs of others, those who give. You ever, have you ever wondered when you've encountered a person who like gives you money for no reason? Like every one of us has experienced this at some point in time in our life and they're just like, here. And you're like, uh. that's a gift that God has given to that person to be able to give to you and bless you. it makes no sense to us. We're like, we don't give things away. You haven't been given that gift. But to the person who's been given the gift of gift giving, they glorify God when they give things away. Serving, teaching, giving, leading. There are two words that I found in my study that kind of Circle, they're big circles that catch all of these different things. They're ordinary and extraordinary. Some people would use the words ordinary and extraordinary to differentiate between the different types of gifts that we've been given. Each, each has received a gift. Somebody in the room right now is zoning out because they're like, I haven't received a gift. If you're sitting here with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, He is your Savior, Heaven is your eternity. You are persevering in obedience to the Word of God, following God in faith in Jesus, repentance toward God, you have. Received a gift. I would contend that you may not be sure what that is yet, sure, but you have received as each, not to as some, to each. Paul says the same thing in Corinthians. So, two different writers, Peter and Paul, used by God to tell the church, You have been given a gift. Ordinary. How do we understand ordinary? In Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches one of the greatest sermons ever preached in the history of mankind. I love it. Acts 2, I love it. It's awesome. But it's just a man opening his mouth. I was thinking about this the other day. He's just, men of Israel, I would have you know that Jesus is Lord. It's, it's nothing extraordinary. He's just talking. That's all he's doing. He's just talking just like any regular man is doing in any pulpit around the world, like I'm attempting to do here today, you're just standing here opening your mouth in no extraordinary way whatsoever. You're just speaking. But his speaking was enabled by the Holy Spirit, and the message was used by the Holy Spirit, and more than 3,000 souls were added to the church that day. Through an ordinary operation, God did something extraordinary. Then in Acts chapter 9, fascinating, it's the same guy. Acts 2 is Peter preaching. In Acts chapter 9, I'm not going to dwell on the story, he raises a dead person to life. Ordinary gift of speaking. Extraordinary gift. I mean, I don't know how much more extraordinary it gets than a dead person coming back to life. Peter, the same man that did both, operated by the Holy Spirit in to do ordinary and extraordinary things. Whether ordinary or extraordinary, Paul and Corinthians and Peter here both say the same thing. Each Christian is uniquely gifted for God's glory and God's purpose. Each has been given a gift, and Peter says, use it to serve one another. Use it to serve one another. You have been given a gift. You may not know what it is, but you have been given it. The gift that you have been given, you can write this down, is for someone else. What's that mean, pastor? It means you're supposed to use it for somebody else. The gift you have been given, you have been given to encourage, to help, to lead on someone else. Use it to serve one another. Serve. The word here, is the word diakoneo. You're like, oh, here we go with the Greek again. Yep, and we're going to look at this word a lot over the coming weeks as we talk about deacons in the church. Diakoneo. It is the action of a diakonos. What's a diaconos? A deacon. And everyone's like, oh, right, right, right. We, we understand this. Deacons serve the church. Yes, they do. But what many don't understand in the modern church today is that every Christian is to be a deacon. There are those who serve in exemplary ways within the church for certain Each of you has received a gift, and you are to use it to deacon. That's what the word says. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Diakoneo, the actions of a servant. That's where we get our modern word deacon. You can even hear it in the word. A more literal rendering of this verse could very easily be, as each has received a gift, use it to deacon one another. Diakoneo means to be a servant, an attendant, to serve, to wait upon. Diakoneo, here where it says serve one another, is the act of serving. It's not telling you you should do this. It's saying get busy doing it. Be serving one another. The New American Standard Bible says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another. It is not the job of simply the pastor, the elder. It is not the job of simply the deacon to serve in the church. It is the responsibility of every Christian naming faith in Jesus Christ as Lord who has received a gift to use it to serve one another. Pastor, it has to be so wearying serving everyone. It'd be a lot less wearying if you all served one another. Like, that's, that's the reality of it. I'm not talking about our context here. I'm talking about anywhere in the world People are like, I don't know how he does it. I don't either. And I'm thankful to be in a church where I'm not doing it all. Serve one another. Pastor, uh, so-and-so's in the hospital. Can you go visit? Yes, can you? Serve one another. Like my own dad's in the hospital. I'm gonna go visit him. Serve one another. It's not the job of any one person in the church. It's the job of everyone in the church. Pastor, I can't do that. No, maybe you can't, but there are others who can. Each has received a gift. Diaconeo can mean a pastor fulfilling pastoral rules, roles. I am here teaching. The Bible says an elder must be able to teach. I'm here teaching, fulfilling this role. This is an act of service for me to you. It can mean one who prepares and serves food and drink. Later, when my family feasts at home, my wife will diakoneo our family by providing food and drink for us. It can mean supplying for basic needs and necessities in life. It can mean taking care of the poor and the sick. It can mean simply seeing to anything that serves anyone in any specific way. And it is the responsibility of everyone in the church to do in light of whatever gift you have been given. I wrestle at times it is a gift that I can do this. that is the work of God. It's ordinary. I'm just standing here and talking. People like, I don't know how you do it. I don't either. I just stand and talk. I read, I study, I pray, I talk. That's just, I don't know how I do that either. That's the extraordinary operation of the Holy Spirit in our ordinary abilities. I just stand and speak. As each has received a gift, it may not be that your gift is standing and speaking, but I bet you can actually go and do things for people better than I can. I'm not that good at it. Everyone in the church serving one another. We're going to deal with greater detail over the weeks, talking about deacons and serving. We're not doing that message right now. We are talking about every person in the church naming Christ as Lord, being called to serve one another, so a sample of its use. What do we draw from the word of God as far as serving one another? Diaconeo may help us as we consider the all of Scripture after the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, I want you to think, I'm challenging the biblical minds in the room because it's not just you listening, it's you thinking and participating with the message. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. He denied Satan. It is written, it is written, it is written. Think in your minds what happened when Satan left him. Okay, you got the answer, just nod your head. You got the answer, what happened? Something happened. He was tempted And Satan left him, and angels came. And what? What did the angels do? They diakoneo him, served him. Wow, that's incredible to think about, that angels from heaven were serving the needs of their Lord and Savior. Matthew 8, verse 15, Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law of a fever, she got up and she began to diakoneo him. As I say, she prepared meal and served Jesus. He healed me and now I'm going to put a spread out for him and serve him in return. In John 12, 26, Jesus says, if anyone diakoneo me, if anyone would serve me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant, that's that word diakonos, be also. If anyone Diakaneo serves me the father will honor him i mean i could derail on serving the lord and our service to others in light of it off that one verse if anyone would serve me he must follow me and where i am there will my servant be also if anyone would serve me the if anyone serves me the father will honor him mark 10:45 for the Son of Man came not to be diakoneo, but to diakoneo. He came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. I want you to note in that last reference, it was Mark chapter 10, verse 45. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. I wrote this note. In this verse, came to serve and give. Came to serve and give. Christ's service in this verse, ransom for many. Give his life, ransom for many. Christ's service cost him. Acts chapter 6, verse 2. The apostles are getting distracted. The word reveals. We'll look at this. They're getting distracted from preaching and praying and it says they summon the whole number of the disciples together and they say, it's not good for us to do this good thing and not preach the word. Literally, there are people being fed and the apostles are doing it, but they literally say it's not good for us to serve these people food and not preach the Bible. Somebody else needs to do this. It's not right that we should give up preaching the word Think about how strange this is. Think about how much this challenges the American church mindset. It is not good for us to give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. I am going to fight my flesh to not derail on how much the American church is giving up the ministry of god's word to serve we'll move on now it is not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables but somebody needs to do it we'll look at that in coming weeks hebrews chapter 6 verse 10 god is not so unjust god is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in diakonia the saints his name in serving the saints as you still do. God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. You can write this note Hebrews 6:10 note the connection of loving God and serving his people. Our love for God promotes and prompts and moves forward our service for people. Look what he says. First Peter chapter 4, verse 10, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. I know that you may not know exactly what your gift is right now, but when you zero in on it, you need to be using it for the Christians in this room. Then you need to use it for the Christians beyond this room. The gift that God has given you, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. I've been fond in years past of the teaching of the talents. Everybody nod if you're with me and not fallen asleep. The parable of the talents where God gives the five, the two, and the one, right? And what happens? Five guy goes out and gets ten. Two guy goes out and gets four. And what does one guy do? I've called them five guy, two guy, and one guy for about four or five years now. What does one guy do? Buries it. Thanks for this gift. The idol are to serve. If you are burying what God has given you, read Matthew and how Christ deals with the servant who buries what he was given. Out. Into a place of torment. When you bury what God gives you, you deny the salvation bought for you in the blood of Jesus Christ. The idol are to serve. As stewards of God's very grace, imagine how weary the guy says of the second man. He went out and found a way to turn the two into four. And it says of the guy with five, he went out and made ten. Like you can see, even in the scripture, this progression of one did it really easily, one did it really difficult, and one didn't do it really at all. Did not do it at all. Why? Why must we use the gifts that God has given us? Look what Peter says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. We serve those within the compelling Christ-created community in response to what God has done for us as stewards of God's varied grace. Pastor, can you unpack God's varied grace? Sure I can. Every one of us is stained and marred by sin. That is depravity. But we're not as bad as we can be. But if we were to start taking a survey of people in this room, I promise you, we would be able to quickly stack up worse sins than others in the history of people in this room, wouldn't we? And everybody said, no, 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 pastor, I'm the worst. Yeah, I know, Paul said that too. But all of us feel our own sin in different weights. But the reality is, there are evil things that have been done by people in this room. We have done evil in transgressing the law of God, and we could easily compare apples to apples and stack up worse than others. That could happen. But God's varied grace reaches to no matter what the sin was. Some have received God's grace in immeasurable ways, and some have not realized they have received God's grace in immeasurable ways. You grow up in the church, when you spend a life showing up every Sunday, singing every song, knowing every verse, even teaching Sunday schools, teaching Wednesday nights, leading prayer groups, leading youth groups, you name it, I don't care, leading song service, I've done everything a person can do in the church and way more. You take God's grace for granted. You squander the grace and mercy that God has given to you, and you end up not using the gift that God has given to serve one another as stewards of God's varied grace. To whatever measure God's grace came to your life, you use the gift that you have received because God gave you grace in your life. We are not to serve because we stand to gain. We serve because of the one who lost all for us. We do not serve thinking that we will gain. I'm talking specifically about tangible gain. There's no doubt blessing is found in serving others. You may be thanked. You may be complimented. You may be compensated for your service. And so then I begin asking, Lord... Am I serving these people because of what I stand to gain or because you have saved my soul, changed my life, and employed me in your service to preach your word to those that gather? Help me. Because it is so easy to serve out of what you stand to gain. When you stand to gain, service becomes no big deal because you're gaining a reward. But we are not to serve with the expectation of gaining anything beyond the well-done, good, and faithful. In fact, in this life, our service will often not be met with any reward. Does my service flow? These are real questions. You're like, Pastor, do you work through these sermons on your own before you preach them? You bet I do. I'm going to share with you the question that I asked myself as I thought about, am I serving to gain or am I serving because of what God has done for me? Ready? It's going to shock you, so brace yourself. Does my serving others flow out of a paycheck every two weeks or does it flow from the God of all creation has saved my soul and employed me for his service to use the gift he gave me for you? You know how many pastors are out there just making a paycheck? Fire me tomorrow, I'll get a job and keep preaching. Those are bold words, pastor, but that's what happens when God saves you and confines you to employment in his kingdom. I can't do anything else but preach God's word. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Are you, I want you to understand through the illustration of my own life, are you using what God has given you because of what God did in you? Oh, we get so weak sometimes. We get so weary sometimes. Sometimes we're so idle. Do you serve because of what you stand to gain or because of what God has done for you? When you serve only out of what you stand to gain, your service will not be broad. Sometimes what you stand to gain is not what you can be given, though. So I want to help those that may be serving out of hoping they gain something. It may be that what you gain from your service is self-gratification or personal reward. I sure do feel good about my serving. Be careful. Many people served to feel good about their serving. Many, Christ says, will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not serve you? And I will say, I never knew you. Depart from me. It may be that you have found your identity in service instead of as God's child saved by his grace. And so easily and so simply, oh God, forgive me. Our service becomes about what we stand to gain, everything about us and nothing about others and nothing about the glory of God. It is so easy to serve when we stand to gain. But the example that Christ left for us is to lose everything for serving other people. We are serving in light of the suffering of Christ, what that suffering means for us, and the end of all things being near. We empty ourselves for other people, not to gain Look what we do it for. Verse 11, he gives this, I love the punctuation they added. It was added well after Paul wrote it. Serve as good stewards of God's very grace and he continues in thought. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles from God. Whoever serves, pay attention if you're weak, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, not their own strength. Look it. In order, that in everything. God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. As each one received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Our serving cannot be about us. Our serving cannot be about what we stand to gain, even though we will be built up, we will be fulfilled, we will be encouraged. There is a reward that we are, in fact, working for. Our service with the gift that we've been given. As a good steward of God's grace, must be about the glory of God in everything through Jesus Christ. Each of us has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Some questions, and then we'll pray. We'll sing a song. And spend the rest of today reflecting on God's word. What gift have you received? Do you know? Are you sitting here this morning? I hope that you've been asking yourself as I've been talking, oh God, what is my gift? I wrote this simple prayer down. God, use me for your glory. Show me how you've equipped me as your servant to serve your people. Show me how I can bring you glory through Jesus in this compelling Christ-created community you've placed me in. He will. Oh God, show me how you would have me serve one another. How have you equipped me to the serving? Is your service pure? This question checked me so hard. Is your service pure? Is it for you or is it for God's glory and the good of the Christian, the church around you? That's what it's for. Your gift is for the good of those around you. How are you serving? To the idol, you have received a gift. Use it. Scratch out a way in this life to understand how God has equipped you, uniquely you, to serve others around you. To the weak, stop serving by your own strength. Nothing has made me weaker or more weary than by serving in my own power. Anyone who serves serve as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, that even in the most weary of states, you are strong. To the weary, remember... Your labor is seen by God. Hebrews chapter 6, 10, God is not unjust so as to overlook your work. I'm giving and giving and giving and giving. Does anyone see that I'm giving? Well, who are you hoping sees? Because God is flat out always seeing what you are doing for his glory To the weary, remember that your labor is seen by God and is for his glory. Sojourners and sufferers are we. We close this series, this sermon, when we love, when we forgive, when we pray for, when we bear with and tolerate one another, when we encourage, teach, and admonish, when we serve one another, we will become the compelling Christ-created community that God has designed in this town and people will know Jesus through faith, by grace, and we will celebrate in eternity. Father, we come to you today. I offer my ordinary means to your service, Lord, and I pray that you've used them because if you haven't, nothing can be accomplished here. Thank you, Father, for checking my own heart, my own spirit. God, I pray, would you help us in our responsibility to serve one another? Would you help us, Father, to look for the ways you have equipped us to be service to one another, to meet the needs, to care for, to minister to? Father, knowing that our service to one another brings glory to you through Jesus who has paid for our ability to serve you. God, you are good. I pray, help us as Christians to be a compelling, Christ-created community in which you delight and are glorified greatly. Father, we love you. Be with us this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at info at Until next time, stay in God's Word.